0: I hope you do Or some kind of instrument Where you can see the Bible um, Pull that out right now And turn to Romans chapter 12 You know when you think about The scene we just saw It's almost horrifying isn't it To sit there and think Where that led And, and, and this Probably several years ago, I was looking at some things that were put out by the Associated Press, which is kind of interesting that they would even do a survey like this. But they, they went in and they surveyed, and they really wanted to know what caused, what caused churches to grow and what caused them to decline as far as attendance. And, and they got to looking, and it didn't matter about the denomination. It really didn't matter about the doctrine or whatever. There seemed to be no parallel to those things. But they got to looking and they found out that the ones that were growing were the ones that knew how to demonstrate a genuine love for each other, something that was real between the people. Now, if there's one thing that I know is that this world is creating an emptiness in many people's lives. There's so many people that I meet that feel like they're on the outside, they're not on the inside. They're not really with people. They're just kind of existing and watching people and watching develop of the relationships and different things. I think our social media has a lot to do with what we're finding in many people's lives, that people feel like everybody has it all together. Everybody's got their neat little friend groups. And, and, and it really leaves many of us on the outside wanting to be a part of some community, which the church can be and would be great to be the community for people. But again, so many people feel like they're on the outside. A genuine love for people that's demonstrated in what we see in God's word is a love that is genuine. And it's not a love that just is bound up in a tiny little group. It's a love that reaches out. And so this morning, what I want us to do is look at this series again, Royal Invitation. And if you were to look at chapter 12 of Romans, you would see that there's a spiritual calling. We saw that in the first two verses, that idea that God's called us out. Then there's a spiritual gifting. We saw that last week and how he's gifted each one of us. But then what Paul does in this chapter is he goes into another section in which he calls it the spiritual living, What should it look like when we begin to live out what God's called us to be and to to live? And so therefore, we're going to look at that this morning. So look at the introduction. As followers of Christ, we are to live above the world's standards. Our actions, reactions, and attitudes should resemble a supernatural life or a spiritual life. That's the kind of life we've been called to. Verses 9 through 21 of Romans 12 seem to be a commentary of what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In which he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means there's something that takes place in you that transforms you out of what we may be living in into something new. Something that's refreshing. Something that is what God has designed us to be a part of. And so we see it there. Now, that's what I want us to look at this morning. All these things that resemble what our attitudes and reactions should be around those, uh, around, uh, with those who are around us. So the first thing we see there is a spiritual life is a life of genuine love. A life of genuine love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said this, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. A love for one another. I care that that you're building a community of believers. In Acts chapter 2, if you go there and look, you'll see clearly that the birth of the church has just taken place. And then you get to the last part of chapter 2, and you see the dynamic of the relationships with those who part of the first church. And you'll see that love is at the bottom of how they reached out with a generosity and a genuine type of love. We see it everywhere. But Paul here in verse 9 says this. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, what is love without hypocrisy? Well, if you were to go back to the Greek days, you would find out that that Greek actors wore masks. Okay, you've probably heard this before, but they would wear masks. So if they were up in front of an audience, the same character may come out as one thing, go back and come out as another by simply wearing a mask. By wearing that mask, that person would change who they are. And so therefore, they weren't that person, now they're this person. And that's where we get the word hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy is basically the person who changes masks. Paul was saying that love, genuine love, does not wear a mask. If you're going to love people, you must have to be yourself. you got to be genuine. you got to be yourself. Now, the problem is we don't even realize many times we're even wearing a mask. You've heard me say this many times. A lot of times in church, what we have are people who who say, okay, when it comes to church, I'm going to go, I'm going to show up. And, And whether we know it or not, some people put on a mask. They're not going to let people in. They're going to pretend possibly to be something they're not. And that happens a lot in church. Because in church, most people have an expectation. In church, when you show up, everybody's got to act like they got it all together. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. And feel free to raise your hand. How many of you in this room have it all together? Raise your hand. You got it all together. I mean, it is just as good as it can be. Okay? None of us. So therefore, what are we saying? Right now, I'm asking you, by asking that question, if you can't raise your hand, then what I want you to do is take the mask off and lay it beside you, okay? Just hand it to the next person. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, but it's that whole idea of just being who we truly are. But you know what many people's problem is? Some people that I've met who've really let me in, sometimes they say something like this, I really don't know who I truly am. And I believe that. So many people are so bound up in shame and guilt, are so bound up in possibly abuses and different things that have gone on in their life that the identity that they take on are associated with those things of what they think of themselves. So there's shame and there's guilt and all these different things. For us to truly give of ourselves, for us to truly demonstrate what love, genuine love truly is, it's for us to realize that all that's been taken care of by a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And all that can be laid on him. And what we're doing is literally when we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, as the one who takes care of our sin, we are literally taking that sin, taking all the guilt and all the different things associated with that sin. The Bible says he not only died for the sin, he died for the shame of that sin. But most people, they would say, I'm identified by my sin. I'm identified by the shame that that sin represents in my life. And and here's what we need to realize. To truly become who we really are, our identification should no longer be in our sin or the emotions of sin. Our identification should be in our Savior. We are in Christ. And Paul says that over and over again. And you know what that literally means? Our identification comes from him. And when he died for all those things, and we turn from our sin, we turn from those things that identify us in our sin. What we're literally doing is we're placing all that on him when he was on the cross, and we're saying, "You handle this." And he said, "I'll do it." And then we become who we are in him. What Paul was telling us here in Romans chapter twelve, verse two, he says, "Don't be conformed to the world." Don't, don't let the sins of the world, don't let the influence of the world, don't let the shame, the emotions, and all those things identify who you are. You'd be transformed. How are you going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. And the context he's talking about is the whole idea of just living the way God sees you. And as a result of that, it will change who you are. You will have that new identity in him. So let's look at it again. A spiritual life is a life of genuine love. And how do we get there? Number one, by fighting evil. Love, for it to be not hypocritical, has to be a love that fights evil. And Romans chapter 12, he tells us that. Let love be without hypocrisy. He says abhor. Some translations say hate what is evil. True love. Have you ever thought of this? True love sometimes means you have to take a stand against something. Have you ever had to take a stand against something? Have you ever said to yourself, you know something, I really can't go along with this. I can't, I can't let that come into my life to, in such a way that it changes who I am. So he says, if you invite those things in, it changes you a little bit. You become identified possibly from those things. He says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let it be a genuine love. How do you do that? Number one, you got to hate what's evil. Because when you enter in that into the equation, you're no longer who Christ died for. You're allowing things to come in. The phrase to hate or to abhor in the Greek literally means to draw away. You're to be, draw away from those things. Now, think of this. Why does love hate evil? Listen, because evil hurts people. How many of you ever witnessed that before? You've seen someone embrace evil. You've seen them be hurt. You've seen them uh, destroyed even possibly. It destroys and damages people. In Proverbs 6, it gives us six things that God hates. And then it says, no, there's actually seven. Now, some of us, uh, as I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, why does God, why does it say it that way? Oh, no, six. No, really seven. Does it mean he changed his mind thought of one last minute? No, they put that in there for emphasis. We are to hate what God hates. Listen to what God hates. Don't you think it's important to know what God hates? Look, listen to what it says. These are the six things that God hates. No, seven that are detestable before him. Number one, haughty eyes. It literally means arrogance. It's the whole attitude of arrogance. It says he hates a lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick quick to rush into evil. A false witness pours out lies. You ever have that person that's there that's misrepresenting you? You ever had that person in your life? Can Can I tell you God hates that? Can I care to step further? Are you the person that misrepresents who people are? Is there gossip? Is there things in there that you know shouldn't be there? And then it says, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. A person who's always creating drama. Always creating friction between other people. Always. You see, the more you love the Lord the more, listen, you're going to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Because your identification's in him. You begin to see it the way he sees it. So how do we have a genuine love? Not only by fighting evil, but number two, by desiring good, by wanting good. Look at Romans 12 again. Let love be without hypocrisy. Well, how do we get there? Abhor, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Paul says there are some things you should hate, And then he follows a negative with a positive and says, and you need to cling to what is good. There's some things you just got to love. There's some things you better hold on to. How many of you find it hard in this day and age to hold on to what's truly good? It's almost like the world sometimes and people may come into our lives. It's almost like if we're clinging to it, we're holding on to it with everything. Have you ever felt like sometimes the world is just trying to pry your hands off of it? Hey, have you ever felt those emotions and what it feels like? That's all around. Sometimes our very flesh can do that to us. He says, cling to what is good. We, listen, we ought to spend so much time doing good that we don't have time doing bad. The point is, if we, if we must reject sin, we're, we're to reject sin, but we're to love people and embrace people. Have you ever found that difficult? How do I love someone whose identification, everything about them, is evil? How do you love that? Well, you got to know that God still desires to reach out to that person in some way. Uh, here's another one: genuine love by reaching tender, or excuse me, by reacting tenderly. In Romans twelve ten, it says, "Be kindly affectionate to one another." How? With brotherly love. It's almost like we're introduced to a different type of love. Now, what is brotherly love? Here it is. It is the ability to live close together with mutual respect. It suggests a family relationship. That means the people, that, as they get in closer to you, there's a transparency. There's a genuineness about it. You're all on the same plane. And what it is, there's a family dynamic that begins to settle in. It means to be tender and affectionate in your love for other people. You know, it's interesting, you know, we, a lot of us are looking at the dynamic of several famous people who have recently died. And it's been all over the news. And yesterday we buried a, a great man who was in this church for many, many years. One of our older members passed on this past week. He's home with the Lord now. Roy um, Roy Cook. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know that I've ever seen someone, and I said this at the service yesterday, I don't think I've ever seen someone who looked so much like the Scripture. He was one of those people that did. He was one of those people that I'm convinced that I experienced the genuineness of his love for me and for our church. And, and it, it was real. But But let me say this. When we start to look around and we see these great people dying around us, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's how you love and what's said and what's not said. Sometimes it defines a person. And please understand, I'm not trying to knock anything, but it's amazing how the media around, especially one of these real famous people who's died recently, it's amazing how the media's got around it and how the families got around it, and 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 it's who wasn't invited. And who was invited to the service, and all these different things. And, and all of a sudden, you're left with this incomplete, what appears to be an incomplete, incomplete picture because there's still people out there holding on to the wrong things. They're not acting right. Y'all, I'm not trying to offend the eighth graders. And if you're an eighth grader, I apologize already. I've said this, and I have a theory. Sometimes when I look at what's on Facebook and I look on social media and I begin to watch people and I begin to talk to people, I start to wonder, do we really ever get past the idea of what we thought when we were in eighth grade? You may laugh at that, but I'm convinced I see that so many times. Do we ever really socially, emotionally, spiritually, or however you want to call it, grow past what we were in eighth grade? I look at the petty things that we get all bent out of shape about. I look at the things that we hold on and the dynamic of the drama that surrounds some people's lives. And I'm sitting there thinking, isn't that that what took place in the eighth grade? How many of you know a little bit what I'm talking about? And you sit there and you're like, have we not grown any further than where we are? And I think so many times when you begin to look at God's word, there's always a promotion to become something greater than what we once were. How many of you see that? It's that idea that we're growing and we're maturing to the point of of perfection one day. Not in this body, in the body to come. But God desires us to grow in our love and the genuineness of our love. To grow in what is good. To to, to grow in the fact of those things that need to be evil and hold those things against us. Against and, But most of all, in our reacting, did it be tender? Here's another one. A spiritual life is a life of genuine love by demonstrating honor. Demonstrating honor. Verse 10, the second part says this. In honor, giving preference to one another. It's that idea that we care about each other. The Phillips translation says this. Be willing to let other people have the credit. Know? Do you know someone who won't do anything good unless they know that someone knows about it? You ever been around that, y'all? If you really think about it, the only person that we're really trying to impress in this life is the one who died for us, the one who knows about it, knows everything already, and the rest just really doesn't matter. But this is one of those who, who, who just says, you know something? It's not a matter of who's watching. It's a matter of doing what's right. It's a matter of treating someone the way God would treat them. with the, 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 the forgiveness of Jesus. The, the, it's all about that. God can do great things through the person who does not care who gets the credit. That's a great statement. Next, a spiritual life is a life of contagious zeal. Contagious zeal. Let me ask you something. Do you demonstrate a Christian walk that people desire to have? I mean, think about it. Some Christians I know appear to have no passion. I mean, they spend so much time not talking about what Christ has done in their life, but what they can't do. No, Lord wouldn't be happy if I did that. No, better not. Wife might get me. Nope, better not. I mean, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> talk about something, this passion. Talk about something you're living for. This contagious zeal. Look at verse 11. It says, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. When you have diligence, the idea of diligence is this, aspiring to. You want to aspire to something. You want to persist, a persistent effort. I was talking with a father the other day. He called me. He said, I need to come by and talk to you. Something really is heavy on my heart. And, and, And he showed up. And he kept talking about his concerns for his son and the world in which we live and all the things that, I mean, there's so many things our teenagers and young people can get into that, that really is just so, expo- I mean, they're just, it can be so easily exposed in their life. And, and he's sitting there and he was really trying to, well, what do I do in a situation like this? How do I help him? How do I, pre- I said, listen, I said, you can put safeguards in, but if people want to find certain things, they're going to find certain things. And then all of a sudden, I don't know where it came from. I told Tina last night, it definitely didn't come from me. It's like the Holy Spirit told me to tell him this. You be the man that you want your son to be, and I was like, "Man, that is good." <laughs> then I started thinking, "Where did I read that? Where did... I? No, I just Holy Spirit, just great statement. You know what that's all about? It means to aspire to be, aspire to be. You give him a role model. You give him something to look at." You give him something that you aspire him to be. And then you be that. You become that person. You, 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 you move in that direction. You be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It Literally, is the idea to be contagious with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, it means to be passionate. It means to be on fire with the spirit. The whole idea is really a spiritual fervor. Literally, in the Greek, it means spiritually bawling. Meaning we're super hot for God. How do you get that enthusiasm? He tells us at the very beginning. By filling your life with love. The most loving people are the most enthusiastic people. They are quick and ready to respond. Listen, the church has a lot of love and as a lot of love, it can be enthusiastic to reach and meet the needs of people. A church that does not have love, listen, is apathetic. The last thing I want to be said about our church is that we're apathetic, that we really don't care. And yet sometimes I meet people And I I, I, some people who may visit here for a while. It's happened not lately, thank goodness, but I've met people here. And, hey, man, I've I've missed you, seeing you at church. And I actually had one person tell me one time this. I wasn't sure anyone really cared if I were there or not. That's tough. That's tough to hear. And, And, you see, we need to be a church that's enthusiastic about what God's doing around here. Enthusiastic about what God desires to do in the life of the person you're sitting beside. Being excited about that. That's what we're called to do. Next, the spiritual life is a life of optimistic endurance. How do we get there? Number one, by being positive. Now, I'm not talking about just positive thinking theology. I'm not talking about that. But how many of you agree that the world's looking for something that's real? Something that is just real. Look at what it says in Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. That means looking for a reason to be hopeful. That means looking to the right person. Listen, all our hope, listen, is really bound up in who Christ is in our life. Some people would say, well, my hope is what I can accomplish in and through my own life. What I can do. But there's something about optimistic endurance. People are hungry for hope and joy, and people are longing, listen, to be inspired, to be inspired. They really are. Every Sunday, without mistake, ever since the first sermon I ever preached, the one that I totally bombed and others I bombed, (laughs) but I will tell you this, my ultimate goal in a sermon is to inspire you, to inspire you to be all that God desires you to be. To inspire you to be the husband your wife needs. The wife your husband needs. That's my goal. That's what I look to do. When I'm putting this sermon together, I'm like, I hope this will inspire. Number one, if you stick to the word of God, will it be inspiring? Most definitely. That's the reason we try to stay there. But we're looking to inspire. Listen, why? Why should Christians be the most positive people? Why should they be so inspirational? Well, first of all, we're under no condemnation. We don't live under condemnation. We don't have to live under the guilt and shame of our sin. We are set free from the fear of death. The Holy Spirit prays for us. God is working everything for our good and our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? God wants to provide all our needs, and nothing can separate us from him. Would you say most of us need to have a little attitude check knowing this about us? This is who the Bible says we are. This is why every Christian ought to be a positive and inspiring person. There's one thing I want you to leave with here today, and I'm going to say a lot more. But I want you to leave here thinking, who can I inspire? Do you ever think that way? Who can I inspire? Does my child need inspiration today? Does that guy at work need inspiration? Does someone need me to come in beside them and help them understand they're not the only one in this world? You may say, well, how do you inspire people? Well, there's been people in my life who have been very dedicated to make sure I get the word of God. There's one gentleman every Sunday he gives me a a verse. How how many of you ever notice that when people give you verses, it seems that fits where, where you are? I'm not talking about some kind of a, fortune cookie. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God working through his word. How many of you ever had that person just come up and say, you know something? That shirt looks really good on you. You remember last week, me just with the struggle with the shirt? I, I can't tell you what that did for me. I got home and rubbed it in Tina's face. I mean, it was just the most satisfying time I've had in church for a long time. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Don't worry about it. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. But anyway... Just someone coming up and just being inspirational. It may involve something like this. You know, God has so much more for you. So much more for you. Can I share with you what he showed me this morning about what he may have for you? Are you inspirational? Do you look to be inspirational? I think that's what these verses are telling us. We are to be inspirational people. How about this? A spiritual life is a life of optimistic endurance by being patient. How many of you uh, in this room could raise your hand and say, I am the most patient person I know? Anybody? Oh, we got some in here. Yeah, Proud of you. Far from it. (laughs) How many of you noticed that you have patience in certain areas of your life and other areas you don't? You ever been there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we can identify with that one too, can't we? But look at what it says in verse 12, the second part. Patient in tribulation. Can can I tell you what was happening with the the, the Christians, especially in Rome where this was written? They were being persecuted. The one who writes this will be beheaded one day. And you know what he says? He says, patient in tribulation. Patient in the worst of things that could possibly come your way. How many of you say... That's pretty cool now that's hard and the Bible says that we can be confident that the plan and the power of God are greater than the circumstances we're going through. we can put we can be patient because we know that God this is what we need to know based on the authority of God's word that God is using even these things in our lives to strengthen us to grow us to bring us the more to, to a place of more maturity. But you know what we do? And I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes we go through these difficult things. We whine, we complain, we we become the victim and we sit there and we mope. And God, sometimes I think is just up there saying, hey, wake up. I'm gonna use this for a good thing in your life. Come on, grow, grow. Don't continue to be an eighth grader. Grow through this. Y'all pray for the eighth graders in the next service. (laughs) We are not only to look at the temporary situation, we are to look at the eternal benefit of that temporary situation that we're going through. Y'all, this is the kind of life Paul is saying that we should be living. It is a life of inspiration. How many of you have heard how people have gone through the greatest of trials to come out on the other side still bringing glory to God's name? How many of you are sitting there thinking, that is inspirational? And yet he wants to use every one of us in that way. Next, optimistic endurance by being prayerful. Romans chapter 12, the last part of verse 12, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Listen, if our prayer life is not up to par, if we are if we don't have that right relationship with him, then we are going to get upset in the most easiest of ways. I mean, it, it'll be one of those things where everything that comes our way causes stress. Everything that comes our way, is, it builds up pressure within us. God is saying, bring those things before me. Several times in scripture, he just says, lay them before me, put them before me. Watch what I can do. Optimistic endurance happens, listen, when things are tough. when We then should be patient in situations, expect the best outcome, realizing that God holds our future, and never stop praying. Now, why would prayer be important? Because I don't know about you, sometimes I want to know as much as I can as to why I'm going through what I'm going through. Don't you? Doesn't it help to... To, to have a better understanding, a better view of what's happening. Sometimes prayer can put us in touch with that. Sometimes prayer can reveal the bigger plan to realize we're giving it to him. Next, <clears throat> well, I'm running out of time. I want you, we're going to catch the next part next week, but I want you to go to the application. The spiritual life can only be lived when the flesh... Is is it on the screen yet? Yeah, sorry, there. Sorry, crucified, put to death. <clears throat> Some of you are sitting there saying, "Why is it that preachers and teachers of God's word always make the flesh the bad guy?" Because why? The flesh is the bad guy. <laughs> the flesh is what gets us in trouble. It's desires. Is I mean, it, the way it tries to satisfy itself. So we are to put it to death. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't say rationalize with it, negotiate with it. What does it say? Put it to death. How many of you know that you can put it to, to death right now? In just a couple hours, it can be alive again. How many of you have been there? Sometimes, aren't you just... Someone asked me the other day, they said, you know, what makes a Christian life so appealing? What do you look forward most about heaven? <clears throat> and here's what I told them. I said that we get the quit with this battle that we're faced with every moment of the day. The battle of the flesh. How many of you just get tired of it? You grow, you grow weary of it. Some of you are looking at me saying, saying, boy, you must really have issues if your flesh gets... No, we're all there, thank you we are crucified and a genuine love for God and others is demonstrated which of the above which of the ones we covered so far are the most difficult for you are you one of those that are not optimistic and have that endurance to know that God's going to take care of it he'll take care of it But how many of you are like, you know, poor me. Can't believe he called me to this. I mean, we even spiritualize our stupidity sometimes. It's like, can't believe he's called me to this. This hurts so bad. And, And I'm not trying to make fun of what you're going through. Some of you are going through some very difficult times. What I'm saying in that is this. We are more than overcomers. It's not because we desire to be that. It's because we've been called that. And that is who we are when we're in Christ. It's so different than the rest of the world. But the problem is the Christian, the church people, so many times look just like the world. We fret just like they do. We are fearful just like they are in the same categories many times. We fall into some of the same temptations that they do. And I know none of us are perfect. but Sometimes there's no difference. You know what Paul's telling us right here in these verses? Be different. Be different. Would you stand to your feet with your eyes closed and your heads bowed? We're we'll going to have a moment of invitation. I don't know where God has you this morning, but I do know He's really working in my life this past week just with this passage. And it's one of them things where I look down this passage and we're going to finish this next week, and what you're going to find, there's still more to come. The God wants so much more for us, so much more. And yet we sometimes look at our Christian walk and we think it's a drudgery or we think, oh, if I could just get, no, there's so much more he has for you. So many different ways he wants you to look at what you're going through. The calling he placed on your life, the purpose that he has for your life, the gifting that he's given you. He's given you those things that make an impact to become a person of influence. And then we come to this idea of spiritual living and he's basically saying, be the inspiration for others. Would your heads bow and your eyes closed, I want to ask you a simple question. Don't you want to live a life of inspiration? Roy Cook, for me, live the life of inspiration. For those of you who didn't know him, He was a soul winner. There was not a time until these last couple years when he was really struggling. There was not a time where I would go and sit down with him that he didn't tell me who he was sharing the gospel with. Soul winner. Someone who wanted other people to be in heaven with him. That inspires me. That should inspire all of us. My question to you is who are you inspiring? What is your life inspiring? Who is it inspiring? That is what I'm convinced God's Word is telling us in these verses. To live a life that inspires others. If you're someone here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be so bold to tell you that your life will not inspire anyone for the good until you understand who you are in Christ. And that begins a journey with him by coming into a relationship with him, by turning from your ways, from your flesh to the things that he has for you. Maybe you're a Christian, you're standing here today and you heard something today you've really never thought of. You've never thought of your life being an inspiration to others. I look around this room, I see people sitting in or standing in this room who are inspiration to me. But are you an inspiration to someone? Father, we pray that you have your way in this invitation. Lord, I don't know what you're up to. I know this message connected because I can see it in our eyes, Father, that you are desiring to use it today. If there's someone that needs to come into right relationship with you or come into relationship with you for the first time, I pray they'll be bold, that they'll come, that they can be an inspiration to us all. Thank you for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with us this morning? I'll be here at the front. Just do what he's calling you to do.